0: The Equitable Battery Alliance, Innovating Fair Supply Chains. Episode 29. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 Podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. This week we speak with Maddie Stanislau, the Director of Public Policy at the Global Battery Alliance. Today's episode is not what you think. Batteries hold the potential, and I would even say the key to revolutionize our transport and energy system. As you will hear Maddie explain, there is global competition developing between countries, but also a desire to ensure the pursuit of batteries provides opportunities for all. Verification of the social and environmental impact of batteries in both upstream, downstream, and in the reuse of materials is now central for the sector to demonstrate it is a clean technology. Thus the topic of justice and equity are hit on, but so is the topic of data management and the role that transparent data collection and verification plays in meeting the demands of the Paris Agreement. Our discussion on the central role of data reflects my discussion in the last episode with Marco Schletz, episode 28, around blockchain technology. Maddie hits on the same points about the ability of well-collected data creating more transparency, around resource use and efforts to do so on a large metascale. Access to financing now hinges on demonstrating through data the socially and environmentally sustainable measures each company deploys to ensure they are creating green, clean, and equitable energy. The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And now, for this week's episode... Today, I'm welcoming onto the My Energy 2050 podcast, Mati Stanislaus, the Director of Public Policy at the Global Battery Alliance. As you will see, Mati is a perfect choice to come onto the podcast due to his extensive experience around the circular economy and justice issues. Previously, he was in the Obama administration to direct programs related to the reuse of materials and hazardous waste management. Before then he served 16 years as a board member of New York City's Environmental Justice Alliance. Maddie, welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast. Thank you. And thank you for having me. <laughs> Great. I'm really really honored uh, to have you have you on the on the show and to go into both uh, the topic of battery storage, which we could say is kind of new and interesting and everything, but also your extens- extensive experience about materials and uh, protecting the environment and the circular economy. Uh, so my, my first question for you is really, how did you get to this point in life where now you're really involved in the topic of not just talking about the circular economy, but working with this battery alliance and, and the future is battery storage? It's, it seems like a really interesting position to be in. How, how did you get to this point?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a convergence of my, my 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 background and experience, and brings together my background. I'm Sri Lankan by birth. I did a lot of work on human rights, um, and then by training, my first degree is in chemical engineering, uh, then the law. And uh, you know, before I joined the Obama administration, I taught uh, life cycle based analysis as the basis of driving both uh, environmental outcomes and economic outcomes and really making informed decisions in a real data and analytical way. Um, then I And I took that to the Obama administration and really kind of built out uh, a life cycle based approach to materials management, to resource efficiency, to even how do you make fundamental decisions that considers the life cycle environmental uh, impacts as well as em- uh, economic impacts. I uh, during that time I represented the United States with the G7 helped lead the establishment of a G7 Alliance for Resource Efficiency, which what it really intended to do is looking at the explosion of raw materials to drive the global economy uh, and the associated environmental impacts of that, and how do we kind of Shift that dynamic I'm looking at you know minimizing material waste but also maximizing materials and products uh, for use and to, to reduce the impact on environment and raw materials you know, so.
0: mm-hmm. and um, um, when you describe this life cycle assessment uh, what, what does it involve?
1: well really it involves looking at all the stages of uh, what, what becomes a product. It could be a car. It could be a consumer electronics. It could be a battery, right? So what are the environmental impacts of mining a material, of processing a material, of manufacturing that into a product, the use of the material, and as well as a- after use? And how do we then uh, you know, uh, uh, re-examine and, and pull materials from a used product to go into a, a new product
0: mm-hmm. and uh, we maybe we can shift it to batteries a little bit because th- probably in this area in the past this wasn't thought about like what to do after after ba- the batteries finished and there's this very interesting report on on your website on the global battery alliance website and I'll, I'll put a link to it about the future of batteries and thinking about their post we could say maybe their first life afterlife uh, and and how how is the thinking changing in, in the area of batteries about uh, what goes into the battery and what to do with the battery after it's finished with its first life?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know if you if you look at that report, what really talks about the opportunities of really, uh, I would say, scaling uh, the deployment of batteries. Now, what people don't really focus in on is that. You really cannot achieve the Paris Agreement without looking at batteries. Batteries are crucial to electrifying the the mobility section, are crucial to having renewable energy uh, being a kind of base of our energy uh, use generally. so you know, so we our anal- analytics shows that by scaling our batteries, you can really you can reduce the greenhouse gas emissions of the transportation and energy sector by thirty percent of the Paris Agreement goals for so that 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 uh, se- those sectors. Now these two sectors are responsible for a little under fifty percent of the global greenhouse emissions. Right, so you have to figure out a strategy. Of scaling batteries, you know, and uh, and to do that, what our report shows is that uh, we have to reduce the cost of batteries to increase the, uh, the market consumers buying electric vehicles. Right. Um, so we do that by a number of ways, increasing the utilization of batteries, you know, so things like uh, more used in Europe than it is in the U.S. right now, the vehicle to grid that is taking advantage of essentially the the storage capacity of vehicles. Currently, they're looking at more kind of pooled buses and fleets as a storage device, which when it's not used for mobility, it could then store energy and give back energy into the grid, which then allows more of of a renewable use, renewable energy utilization. The other is extending the life of batteries uh, and then repair refurbishment, uh, then, then shifting batteries potentially from mobility purposes to for a fixed storage purpose, uh, so right now uh, batteries become unusable uh, in electric vehicle at about seventy three to seventy five percent remaining capacity. So there's some opportunities to use that for for fixed storage. You know we're exploring some opportunities. There are some. Pilots around the globe. We're also linking that with providing energy access in Africa, for example. Um, you now, the other aspect is recovering high quality materials from batteries once they have no longer use, so they can be put back into and remanufacturing into a new battery.
0: Okay, okay. So it's. Uh looking both at what's going into the battery and then afterwards, and it's really this after, because right now, how are batteries designed? Are they, is there this thought about what to do with it afterwards, or is this something that needs to be implemented over the next few years?
1: Well, yeah, I I would say uh, it needs to be implemented now uh, so that we do not have a huge problem in the future. So we forecast uh, 2 million uh, metric tons of electric vehicle batteries that that will not have a purpose for mobility by 2030, right? So we either have to figure out a strategy or that's going to be dumped into a landfill. But we also, in parallel, need to make sure that the issues of human rights right now, uh, what most people don't focus in on is that uh, cobalt. most cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And you have issues of child labor uh, in producing that cobalt. So we also need to figure out, you know, how do we make sure that we uh, 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 thoughtfully address the issues of child labor, you know, providing alternative forms of employment for children in the DRC, um, making sure that companies are not procuring from illicitly sourced uh, materials that use child labor or just illegally. You know, so I want to deal with the human rights issue, the corruption issue, as well as the environmental issue. So that that's the purpose around the global battery alliance. You
0: know, so. mm-hmm. And um, I, I want to kind of maybe because you have so much experience in this area around rights and and but and, and the environment as well. And I want to maybe go uh, into detail with that, just looking from from your experience, your professional experience, um, is this an area where the industry, the battery industry, will just say really sees other sectors? Maybe you could draw on hazardous waste sector, or you know whatever uh, companies were producing hazardous waste in the past. Where here you're trying to get ahead of the issue, trying to really change and make batteries a clean source, right, or a clean uh, technology for the a sustainable energy system. But but being aware of the human rights involved in the production of these tech, of this technology,
1: yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that you know the issues of child labor and human rights abuse have existed in multiple of other sectors, right? You know, so um, so I think there's an opportunity, um, and, and frankly, historically, there's been a little bit of well, I'm going to shift that responsibility to another segment of the value chain. You know, if I'm a downstream company, I'm just gonna put a procurement requirement, then I'm done, right? So we're no longer in a world where we can say, we can paper away responsibility, right? Uh, We're we're, we're in a connected world, we're in a data world. In fact, some of the largest EV companies have joined us because their institutional investors basically told them, we do not wanna see reports anymore, you know? We want data driven uh, foundation for your conclusions right so right now I mean I, we could basically at the moment a a a rock in a bag is placed on a truck we could have that data at a moment's notice so we have the technology is what we willing are we willing to invest in the deployment of technology to address some of the systemic issues you know I think you know, and, and for the and historically, these segments of the value chain almost could say, okay, I'm just I'm just going to focus in on my my uh, uh, my walls, right? Uh, but it's an opportunity to really connect throughout the value chain to do it in a kind of collective kind of way, which is what we're trying to do. You
0: know, so. mm-hmm. and and you mentioned a a technology that can. Track from when a rock gets placed on a truck. Can you describe that technology, or is it based on blockchain, or or how how does that occur?
1: Well, I would say you know we are in uh, an era of data for the first time in history. You know we have tremendous amount of data available to and the uh, and the ability to to record data uh, and and make that data recorded not just locally but recorded globally through a cloud-based system it could be a blockchain system in a way that doesn't change over time so most corruption happens because of lack of transparency of the transaction right so Mm -hmm. so we have an uh, ability through even some handheld devices to have a unique identifier for an individual Doing a certain activity, recording that data to uh, to a remote place, and then collecting that data across the value. and then once you develop a system, which is what we're trying to do, a system of accessing that data, then we could provide do, conduct assurances, right? We could say, listen, based on our rules, we can confirm that you're doing it in the proper way, you know, based and. We could then look at the greenhouse gas footprint and whether you, you, you're, you're where you're sourcing it and where the where are the areas of problems, right? So we're not going to solve all the problems in one step, but we have an opportunity to use data to really solve some of the systemic problems that, in some cases, humanity has been been been, been trying to address for the longest time. You know, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, just because uh, actually earlier this week I did an interview with uh, a gentleman, a PhD a uh, Recent PhD graduate, and his area was blockchain technology. And his his point was, it's data, right? We have these huge data sets now. Everything's, it's it's. But what do we do with the data? And this is, goes to your point as well: is the data is being produced? And it's quite interesting then to to think about these, yeah. Well, in a simplified way, these batteries com- companies—they're much more than that, of course. But they are also going to be relying on this data that's produced. Where the raw resources come from? Who is handling that? So they're not just these, exactly not paper overing the, the uh, social and environmental impacts of these things, but actually everyone has access to this data. I assume that there's greater transparency around the data. And, and it can, so this, this becomes, a, I don't say a strategic shift, but both a moral and a strategic shift on the part of companies to account for environmental and social um, ills in, in, in the production of, of what they're producing. Yeah, that was more of a statement.
1: I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, from my perspective, um, uh, uh, cryptocurrency has gotten disproportionate profile, I would say. <laughs> yes. But the underlying technology allows us an opportunity to really solve some of the inextricable problems globally, right? You know, so um, we could use, like, a downstream company can use the data to select a supplier who can demonstrate through data highest performance of you know, whether it's water usage or greenhouse usage or no, not using corrupt sources, right? Uh, governments and civil society could say, listen, the only way that we can demonstrate the Paris goals, you know, despite all of the nationally determined commitments and all the individual commitments of countries, it's all taken on faith, right? We have to get yeah. beyond faith. We need to have a data-driven basis. Of, I mean, we will not be able to achieve the Paris goals without a global system of data authentication, data access. So that's this is what excites me, right? It excites me because we can then deploy all these tools, which have been great for various commercial ventures, but we need to translate that to uh, the, the, the,
0: the human adventure. Yes.
1: yes.
0: (laughs) And then this offers that. And, and and, uh, so, so what we talk about then maybe to kind of back out a little bit is the bigger picture is we need energy storage and batteries can provide that. But at the same time, it's really engaging with, uh, it's, it's engaging with a sustainable, uh, on a social side and environmental side, new energy system, new energy architecture, because uh, there is greater awareness and greater transparency around these human rights or environmental protection rights. And yeah. um, let, let me, I, I want to go back even out a little bit further, because this is part of the World Economic Forum, the Global Battery Alliance, or, or comes out of that. Maybe you could... Because when people think of the World Economic Forum and it's all very rich people and corporations and everything, how can you explain the connection then between the Global Battery Alliance and, and what you're doing in the World Economic Forum?
1: Yeah, so the World Economic Forum, uh, basically what they're doing is incubate. And one of the things it does is incubate uh, potential initiatives that brings uh, at the very most senior level – uh, senior leaders from, from the private sector, senior leaders from government, senior leaders from civil society uh, to solve if, or, or attempt to solve intractable problems, you know, yeah. and um, so uh, a few years ago, batteries, particularly I would say the batteries for mobility, batteries for energy storage, and the ugly downsides, um was raised, in fact, of the birth of, in in large ways, of the global battery lines was to try to solve this this tough issue about child labor in cobalt. You know, it it went from there to say we need to address that. We also need to address the systemic issues across the value chain. You know, one to demonstrate that, you know, uh, that um, batteries for mobility is better than. Uh, continue to use oil and gas for combustion, right? So mm-hmm. there are those who are invested in though, in keeping legacy uh, fuels who wanted to say, well, you know, what about batteries and what about the footprint of batteries, you know? And so we, we, we wanted to address that issue, you know? And, and then, uh, so that's what gave rise to this very deep analysis that we did a global consultation that resulted in the 2019 report about the opportunities of bringing the most senior leaders to the table and really frame the opportunity, uh, which is what was in the 2019 report. And then we're now uh, 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 translating that into specific programs. So we're building out the, what we call a, a global uh, a battery passport, which is uh, an idea of bringing data to the table to uh, authenticate uh, the absence of child labor or authenticate greenhouse gas claims and doing it in a way that brings all the stakeholders to table table, provide a, a shared space and deal with some of the, the difficult conversation. It is sometimes a difficult conversation, right? So companies don't want to disclose any data because of the risk of revealing proprietary information, right? Um, governments want the data to drive policy objectives. They're trying to find the healthy balance about what data is necessary to drive policy objectives? How do we put in a system to protect certain data and not others? Uh, Because uh, unless we have these tough conversations between even across the private sector right now we have mining companies who may not have historically had a direct relationship with auto companies right and really trying to figure out they figure those relationships out and having a a kind of pre-competitive discussion uh with competitors who would otherwise not engage you know and then bringing governments and and civil societies who are doing some really great work in addressing child labor you know so so that's what i think the the where I think forum has been really great at providing the, the shared space. And then because, you know, people saw a need to do that, we are, uh, have de- designed these programs and the global battery Alliance is in the midst of uh, establishing itself as its own legal entity. And now.
0: Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned, um, uh, entrenched interest, interests and I kind of want to go back to that, to that point. Um, be- because it's, it's necessary. So when we talk about batteries, then it's not just the technological barriers that have to be overcome, but it's the social barriers or environmental impact barriers that have to be demonstrated to be better than what is currently in place. Is this? So it's a kind of competitiveness in that you have to be better than the existing technologies.
1: Well, yeah. So I think there is. A technology side, right? So, uh, so globally, uh, um, driving down the cost of batteries to reduce the cost of electric vehicles is crucial. Mm -hmm. uh, To have the real ambition of increasing uh substantially the, the number of the population that buy electric vehicles and can afford to buy electric vehicles. Uh, we need to drive down the cost of large batteries on the grid, uh, so that right now batteries are in a very too costly to really serve to displace coal and oil generators on the grid. In fact, uh the Biden administration recently announced a goal of driving down the cost of large-form batteries by 90%. These are batteries that are needed for not just a few hours, but maybe for a day, you know, to really maximize renewable energy and then permanently shift some of the dirtiest generators that exist globally, you know. so
0: And, and yeah, and so uh, the, this goal that they've set about driving the cost lower, uh, this, this is – uh, is this achievable? I think the it's just from my memory. It's like the next ten years that the price needs yeah. to drop, or the technology has to develop. Uh, are those yeah, yeah. T- advances on 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 the way?
1: Well, yeah, I, I would say two things. I mean, I, I think yes, the advances are on the way. I mean, we've seen the the efficiency uh, and the cost of lithium battery is going down. You know, but I I you know, but there is a need going to be a need for public financing in the near term. You know, so, um, you know, China has put a huge amount of resources to the table. Uh, uh, The uh, European uh, Union has put a huge amount of resources to the table. And the uh, the Biden administration has really announced the ambition to put. So we do need public money to be an impetus. So, for example, uh, the Biden administration has. Uh, it's talking about tax credits for purchase of electric vehicles, uh, putting substantial investment, research and development to drive that down the cost uh, of batteries. Um, so all of that is needed, you know, but there's also, you know, I would say the competitiveness among countries that people don't talk about in this space, right? So China is the dominant player by far in every aspect of of battery. so the materials they are a dominant player in the materials dominant player in the materials processing in the cell manufacturing and it has consequences you know uh and, and so we need to diversify that uh um uh, in, in a global way you know so uh b- but you know we also no country can achieve its Paris Agreement goals without having some global cooperation, right? And, and so um, in the recent G7 meeting, um, there was an agreement to kind of really work uh, 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 collaboratively among the countries as opposed to, uh, um, you know, trying to pro- proffer up uh, and control uh, the, you um, The battery value chain just in the country and that's all of that's going to happen but it's got to happen also with an understanding that unless we cooperate with each other you know the Paris agreement is just paper until we put in the technology and the investments that's aligned globally you know so Mm
0: -hmm. and and yeah I I want to draw draw on this a bit more on the national competition. We can see this with especially the Biden administration promoting uh, and putting money for for battery storage technology. Also China being the global dominant entity in this area and the European Union uh, also being quite competitive there, unifying a lot of countries together. And so on one hand, we have this, uh, I would say international competition for uh, technology but also maybe uh, a strong awareness of the need to cooperate on resource use or even recycling technologies, these types of things. So it's it's both a, competi- a competitiveness against each other, but also a collaborative effort. Is that the way to frame it? Yeah. Then?
1: i mean i think uh the comp- healthy and fair competition is really great you know uh the innovations that we have in, in so many sectors come up with that you know but it's got to be fair competition right? um and and frankly uh Without calling out, you know, some of it has not been fair. You know, <laughs> some of it is like control subsidies. You know, you know, so that that just hurts the global economy, right? Um, it may help in the short term a growth of one particular country, but that just hurts. So fair and open competition, you know, um, but but it's also some of the intractable problems really requires a little bit of globally policy policy alignment. To enable financing in the private sector to work, right? So we really can't achieve the data ambition, you know, unless we have a globally agreement rules around how data should flow, how should it be protected. Um, so right now we're early stages of in discussions with the G7, G20 of possibly creating a framework for data disclosure to drive these public policy outcomes around greenhouse gas authentication and recycling and those
0: kinds of things, you know, so. Uh huh, and and you mentioned um, so so the data. It's again, it goes back to data management. <laughs> we have this proliferation, right, uh, on the consumer side that everyone experiences just in our smartphones of data collection. But it's also needs to occur and is occurring in and resource use, uh, environmental impact. At like, there's almost this what a parallel universe that, that that's going on of just data collection, and and no. so part of the 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 role of the global battery alliance is to coordinate what data is collected and the authentication of that data which is super important and how when it comes to authentication are you looking at certain organizations to verify um that the data or how how is that developing
1: so what what, what you know we see gba is a a multi-stakeholder you know a public private initiative so what we see our unique space is establishing the rules of the game, you know, the gr- rules of the game, you know, with with broad stakeholder consultation. So we're in, the, in the process of establishing the rules for data integrity, data quality, the rules for, you know, how do you make a claim around greenhouse gas, you know, aligning with the, the policy and requirements of, the European Commission and uh, the emerging rules of the U.S. and all those kinds of things, you know. And then what we would do is we would independently assess against those rules uh, you know. Ba- once you've achieved uh, access to that data, you know. So, we, we you know, that's going to be a, a major hurdle or how do we figure out the data access in a way that companies are comfortable in providing certain data and not others. The companies are comfortable that there's not going to be any potential security threats so we still have a long way to go but he, but what we see ourselves is establishing this neutral credible framework of using that data to demonstrate in an independent uh, um, credible way of various conclusions you know some
0: Okay, so uh, let me use a wrong term to express it. It would be uh, like a regulator, but you're not a regulator, right? You're you're an aggregator of, of data and then verifying both uh, pushing people to abide by the rules, I guess in, an, in um, I don't know, you, you, don't, you don't have sanctions, but, but you can push people or organizations to abide by the rules and at the same time verifying that the data that they do provide is accurate is that yeah ultimately
1: yes ultimately what we do is you know enable to access to the data uh, analyze that data assess that data independently and disclosing that data so that the market can function better right okay Uh, yes so we want to bring visibility and transparency right so we want to be able to you know one of the things we want to do is is issue battery labels You know, and so a different level of performance of batteries based on these agreed-on rules. You know, so that consumers can select uh, based on this performance. A a, an auto auto company downstream can say, "Listen, I see a supplier. I see three different suppliers. You know, based on the data that Global Battery Alliance has put together, you've not demonstrated." Uh, company X, you're, you're as well as company Y. I'm going to pick company Y. You know, uh, really allowing the consequence of having access to data based on the rules and then uh, assessing that and disclosing that to really drive change. You know,
0: so. mm-hmm. and, and that goes back to, I just want to maybe go back to your experience then in looking at and creating verifiable and looking at the data, uh, regardless of you know, how, how we're progressing in, in an environmentally sustainable manner because you're looking at the data, not just promises anymore.
1: Yeah, uh, if I understand the, Yeah, so we want, so I, I, I like to tell people I'm a recovering lawyer, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, you know, lawyers uh, and lawyers and accountants are almost in the same But I mean, they're always trying to reconstruct a fact after the fact, right? And, and what we want to do is to use data to drive the, the the fact at the point the fact is created, right? And authenticate okay. that fact and have the marketplace uh, as opposed to, so, you know, um, I met uh, a Mexican legislator and, and uh, it was really interesting. You know, he felt that only through data and data disclosure authentic- can we really drive corruption out of politics right and, and so data yeah. is an opportunity to really use real data authenticated data to, to 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 drive some of these public outcomes in a way that you know we, we don't layer the cost and inefficiency of uh trying to reconstruct the story after the fact every time you reconstruct it who is reconstructing it can we and, and what information are we using to reconstruct it? Now we have this rare opportunity in human history to use data at the time it was created to have data tell the story. You
0: know. Yes. Yes. And and this gets to uh, you, you. You bring it out because this is important for the market. And you mentioned earlier about financial institutions and this uh, and the pressure that the financial institutions are placing on the companies themselves to to change. And I would imagine then this goes to the heart of what financial institutions are looking at too at verifiable data. So how how could this shift where where money goes?
1: Well, that's a great question. Uh, that that's a, a major part of what we believe is uh, how this could drive change. You know, we we do know that some of the major institutional investors has told. Um, uh, some of the largest auto companies, we want a data-driven uh, solution, right? And so, um, you know, and, and, and we think both directly and indirectly, this is, uh, I would say, a use case of how, um, for example, BlackRock has made this major uh, announcement about uh, really trying to drive um, an ESG-driven investment portfolio. The only way to do that is authenticated data, you know, and I, I, my, my hope, uh, my ambition is to say let's create an infrastructure of trusted infrastructure of data so that the investors can uh, preferentially select those that can demonstrate through data you know, a particular way. And those that either choose not to or unwilling to invest in data, hell, you don't get that investment, you know? And and so it's a way of money to drive change. And I really believe that while I think, as a former regulator, I do think that we need a a, a mandatory floor of protection. We are not going to change. We're not going to achieve the Paris goals by that alone. You know, we need this connection between financing going to the leading actors, penalizing the bad actors so that the leading actors get a market advantage for doing the right thing in a way that they're not currently getting. There's a lot of greenwashing or whitewashing, depending on what you say it. Right now, those who are investing and doing the right thing are not getting the advantage. So my hope is data can show who is the best and worst performers, which you then have this trickle effect of investors then saying, listen, through data, I can I can demonstrate a company X is doing better than company Y. I'm going to buy its stock. I'm going to invest in that company, and then consumers can then use that to show their market power. the house. Know,
0: so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's the black rock, These these financial uh, engine number one, I believe, it put pressure yes. on Exxon. Uh, exactly. in the in – the- in the past as well. And have you had some conversations with some of these, or Bennett events, maybe not in the past year, with, with these financial institutions and, and see that they are really keen on getting the data and they're keen on investing in the leaders that are both socially responsible and environmentally responsible?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot lot of the the, the institutional investors have, have have made those statements. I mean, I think we are... You know frankly in its early stages how do we translate that to uh, a data-driven system you know and working through these difficult i mean these are difficult questions right we, you know we have we've seen over the last six months the the uh, um state actors from from russia some from china uh using you know the availability of data for illicit purposes so we have a long way to go building confidence that by providing access to data is not going to result in illicit outcomes, you know? So, um, but, you know, and I think it's it's necessary, but I I don't think we have a choice of building a system. If we really want to, to drive the outcomes that we all need to have, to have a, a a climate that's livable, the only way is through data. You know, (laughs) we could do all the agreements in the world, but we can't, if we don't have data to point out, Are you are you actually resulting in a reduction of emissions or are you not you know and then uh, what sectors maybe should do, require more attention more penalties you know or more favorable treatment you know so um so that, that that's
0: i guess kind of how i see it yeah you know yeah, so. yeah, no, exactly exactly and i just want to shift it a little bit um be, just because we've been uh, when we speak of data and investments and all this it's it's still quite abstract and maybe i just want to bring it down to the to the everyday and and also draw on your experience uh, from from your time in, in in new york city and the environmental justice alliance which which i would say would probably be a, a local organization i don't know think anything about it but how do you see what you're doing and what's going on in, in actually yeah in in this recreating the the value chain and what, what the future holds and how do you think that can really impact communities on the ground uh, regardless of, of the location in fact on the everyday people that rely you know for example uh, small scale solar uh, for, for poor people or for anybody really in India or in, in even in the United States and those people are using these batteries so what's the impact going to be on them?
1: Well I mean I, I think there are uh, uh, multiple dimensions I mean I, I think one um uh, communities can see authentically, you know, the validity of claims uh, that are made. You know, communities can see whether the environment is improving or not. You know, communities can then make decisions based on that. That's at one level. At another level is that use that data to serve their citizens, their citizenship role of holding accountability uh, of those who are not doing the right thing, whether it's government or, or private sector, you know, you know, and then there's the opportunity to really do some really interesting things about using data um, to deploy energy, renewable energy where it's needed, right, and do uh, things like distributed energy. And we're doing this project in um, in Africa where we see an opportunity to to uh, substantially reduce. The, the populations that do not currently have energy access, you know, and then deploy uh, battery storage uh, for doing so. You know, so w- we see uh, the imperative and the opportunity to really solve some of the the underground issues of the communities that are most systemically impacted. Now, in the U.S., we call it environmental justice, you know, and uh, other places they call it inequity, you know, to really use data to really be the foundation of you know one understanding inequity but really using data to are we really shifting uh that inequity to equity you know as opposed to you know broad statements which has not changed the game for the most harmed communities you know for all the time that i've been working with these communities you know so
0: yes 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 so so the people yeah communities people on the ground that actually use this technology will also feel the difference or benefit from the difference and yeah. in their buying choices can even make choices
1: yeah and communities could also there's a growing movement around community monitoring right you know communities can be their own monitor to demonstrate what is or is not working you know so
0: and which which goes to i mean one big section or part of the paris agreement is empowering communities uh, as, as well. So this fulfills that, that, that mission or can contribute towards it.
1: Yeah. And I, I would say that the, the, the still the major um, uh, area is how the Paris Agreement will treat uh, those that are most impacted um, from climate uh, and how do we bring them to the table in an authentic way? Um, how do we make sure that they have um, not just a seat at the table, not even an equal seat, at the, a predominant seat at the table, because they're the most at risk and most at home? That's still a long way to go, but I think data gives us an opportunity to like level the playing field in, in, a, in an inappropriate way. You
0: know, so. Mm-hmm. And so we have the data, we have resources, all coming together, and the technology, and now hopefully the financing uh, into f- furthering the technology and the development that it, that it can have. Are we are we getting at a tipping point then, where where the technology? You know, maybe as if Biden gets a goal of reducing the cost ninety percent uh, for for some battery technology, are we at a tipping point now in the next? I don't know, even just two or three years, where batteries as a storage technology really is able to be cost competitive and and serve a really important role in in transportation and for uh, I don't we could just say balancing the grid or grid services.
1: Um i would say we are in a uh a a tipping point and i would say uh uh, a mandatory (laughs) a tipping point um i I do think that the investments all going to reduce uh the cost um and um uh, so i i i think that um between the the investments to, to the changes of technology but I, you know, I almost—I almost think that we do not have a choice. You know, and I think th- these investments reflect that we do not—we do not have a choice. So I do think we're a tipping point, not only in terms of investments to bring down the cost of, of batteries, but I think we're at a tipping point where we see this—you know—investments, uh, um, both public and private. Uh, we see a, 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 a demand for accountability. So in many ways, I, I would agree with that characterization. We are at a tipping
0: point. Great, great. So a global tipping point it is. I don't have any more questions. Do you have anything uh, you you might want to add uh, at the end of the episode about uh, both the global battery alliance and how how you how you got in this role? I, I guess I, I think you have a great job. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, one, I I love the bringing together of.
1: The people dimension, the human rights are trying to solve this intractable problems. And I think at one level, people may think batteries are boring and data is boring, but we really do not have a future, you know, uh, really. I mean, I hate to be that dramatic without everyone paying attention to the role of batteries to drive greenhouse gas reduction in the transportation energy sector, but also broadly, I think, hopefully, I think the, the lessons learned for what we're doing will set the, the the foundation for, you know, disclosure data, aligning human rights, uh, uh, driving accountability in the private sector and government. So I would ask everyone to really kind of pay attention and, and be the champion and frankly, hold us all accountable to this
0: kind of change that we all
1: need and demand. Thank you all.
0: (laughs) Okay, great, great, Maddie. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting-edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it the more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.